We're now going to look at God's Word, and I'm going to talk about the subject of God's compassion and grace, looking at some stories in the Old Testament and then in the New. Last week, I spoke about what it meant to fear God and how often we have a wrong idea of it having something to do with being afraid of God. And in the New Testament, it says, perfect love casts out all fear. And I showed how fearing God does not actually mean any kind of emotion at all in a negative sense. It means a commitment to following God. It's not in any shade of fear. It's a commitment that he is our God. We're going to follow him. And if you missed last week's, then you can go back and and refresh your memory on that. But I want to tie into that this week by going further, um, looking at not only is the Old Testament when a place where God is not feared in the sense of being afraid, but it's a place where God's compassion and grace is shown. And it's been said that the Old Testament is like a dimly lit room and which but it's richly furnished and the new testament is like a light you can take in and you can see the beauty in the old another expression that you that is used is truth shines brightest in the new testament and we're going to see that there's this progress but the truth is there in the old and so um my goal is to hear and take in some stories of God's compassion and grace, and be able to apply them to ourselves and to others. There are three stages in God's compassion and grace. The first is that God gives it to those who need it or ask for it, and then he brings them into his family. And then there's a continuing relationship of compassion and grace with the people that he's brought into his family. And all three of these are seen in the Old Testament, but we're going to see them much clearer in the New. So I'm going to have three points today. I'm going to start by talking about God's compassion and grace to those in need, especially those who cry for help. Then we're going to look at grace and forgiveness to everyone who asks for it. And we're going to apply it to ourselves as our third point by how can we be a person of compassion and grace ourselves. So the first story I want to talk about is the story of Hannah. And uh, Hannah was uh, an Old Testament character back in the time of the judges. And she was, uh, her husband had two wives, so there was another wife, which is is always a bad thing. And here she had no children. And that in that culture, that was a very shameful thing. And it caused a lot of trouble, particularly that the other wife made her life a misery because in pointing out that she didn't have any children. And she complained to her husband and uh, he said, you know, isn't my love enough for you that I love you? Which um, which wasn't necessarily very helpful for her, although maybe he was trying. Um, and she was deeply distressed. And we read about how she brought her prayer to God and wept bitterly and came to the temple and, and prayed, just wept before God. And God heard her prayer and gave her a son, And the son, of course, was Samuel, whom two books of the Bible were named after. 
And we read about the prayer after God had heard her request. And the prayer is in 1 Samuel 2. And starting reading verse 1. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So notice proud there. The bows of warriors are shattered, but those who stumble find their strength reinforced. So we have the proud and the strong, and the strong stumble, but the, sorry, the strong are shattered, but the weak have their strength reinforced. And now the Lord makes the poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. So there's this wonderful prayer that she prays declaring something about God's character. She had an experience of God seeing her in her need and answering that need. And Jesus exemplifies the, this this uh, characteristic, this compassion. And I'm just going to give you a, some some places now in the New Testament. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's Matthew 9.36. And it seems, there seems to be a connection very, very often between Jesus healing people and him having compassion on them. His, his healing power seemed to flow out of that place of compassion. Very often the text mentions that. Now they're from Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Then Matthew 15, 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And notice this is not just compassion for people who were committed to him or who were even asking something. This is compassion in general to people. This is a heart, a revelation. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus is the full revelation of God, of the Godhead. So, when we, in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, it says that God revealed himself in different ways through the prophets, in different, but now there's a full revelation through his son. And so what Jesus brings is not just one aspect of God, but Jesus is the complete revelation, the perfect revelation of God. And this is the truth shining brightest through Jesus. He is the light that came into the world. And so when we read this description of Jesus having compassion, we're seeing an insight into God. We're seeing the God who had compassion on Hannah, who was childless. And it's the same, it's the same God who is doing this. 
I'm going to read you something from Matthew 20, starting at verse 30. There were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. So you can see there's no compassion there. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in compassion, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So here we have the Jesus who in many stories is revealing this this inner nature of God that's woven into the very being of God. I'm going to read you one of the most remarkable stories, which is in Luke 7. As This is Luke 7 verse 12. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, this would put her in extreme financial distress. The only son, and she's a widow, so there's no social security system that would look after her. She's in a very, very bad state. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. So this is amazing. This is Jesus seeing this weeping woman and it stirs something up in Jesus' heart and he has compassion on her. Then he came up and touched the bier and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be there. <laughs> Just see this beer being carried along and Jesus touched this corpse and suddenly he sits up and starts speaking. <laughs> this must have been absolutely so shocking and scary to the people who were there. Um, but um, we we have many ideas like this in the New Testament. But um, also we have Jesus not just bringing compassion to people in Israel, but teaching and bringing compassion to those outside of Israel. And of course, you'll probably think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. But, you know, this isn't something that's new, because back in Leviticus 19, we read, when a foreigner resides with you in your land, you must not oppress him. The foreigner who resides with you must be to you like a native citizen among you. So you must love him as yourself, because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now that statement at the end is, um, it's not just, you know, just tacked on. It's actually core because what he's saying is, you must do this because this is me. I'm your Lord and this is, this is my heart to foreigners and it was my heart to you when you were in the land of Egypt. So God is revealing his heart there. <clears throat> So before we go on, I want to ask, how should we respond to this? What should we do? Well, clearly, there's a response in those verses there, loving those who are in adversity in some way or another, 
who may be by themselves. And that will echo James James one twenty seven, where James says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their misfortune and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That this is this should be a key part of us as people, that we are people of compassion because God is a God of compassion. It's core to who he is. What it means to be God is this compassion. So God's compassion grace to those in need, especially those who cry for help. But then I want to look at not just compassion, but I want to look at forgiveness, grace and forgiveness to everyone who asks for it. Because it's it's easy to it's easier to show compassion to someone who's not wronged you in any way than to show somebody who needs your forgiveness. And then we'll go on to look at responding to this. So uh, there is not a single record in the Old or New Testament where somebody comes humbly to God and is turned away. I want to repeat that. There's not a single place in the Old or New Testament when somebody comes humbly to God and is turned away. Now, I'm going to read you the story of Manasseh. And Manasseh is the, the son of King Hezekiah, who's one of the, the best of the kings, a good king. But Manasseh is probably the most evil king of them all. And we're going to read his story now. This is Second Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became, became king, and he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and committed the same horrible sins practiced by the nations whom the Lord drove out ahead of the Israelites. This is extraordinary because they were like so evil that that's God said the land had to be rid of them. He rebuilt the high places, those are the idolatrous um, worship sites that his father Hezekiah destroyed. He set up altars for the Baals and made Asherah poles. Asherah, there's another god. He bowed down to all the stars in the sky and worshipped them. So you can see this is pretty evil, but it gets worse than this. He built altars in the Lord's temple about which the Lord had said, Jerusalem will be my permanent home. He actually put altars to these gods in the temple. In the two courtyards of the Lord's temple, he built altars for all the stars in the sky. He sacrificed his sons. Now, this is the, the horror of the, the pagan religion. They would even feel they could get more power by, by, by killing babies. And he did this with his own sons. In the valley of Ben-Hinnom and practice divination, omen reading and sorcery. So he's getting into satanic worship now. He set up a ritual pit to conjure up underworld spirits and appointed magicians to supervise it. He did a great amount of evil in the sight of the Lord and angered him. So here is um, just evil. He put an idolatrous image he'd made in God's temple, 
But Manasseh misled the people of Judah and the residents of Jerusalem so that they sinned more than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed ahead of the Israelites. So he didn't just do this himself. He led the whole nation into a worse sin than the the Canaanites that had been ahead of them. Uh, the Lord confronted Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria. They seized Manasseh, put hooks in his nose, bound him with bronze chains and carried him away to Babylon. Well, you might think that would be the end of him, but the story doesn't actually finish there. In his pain, Manasseh asked the Lord, his God, for mercy and truly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. Well, what's God going to do? Like, this is the most wicked king, and he's led his people into this utter wickedness. He could, couldn't have been worse. And here the man is asking for mercy. When he prayed to the Lord, I just find this so moving, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his cry for mercy. The Lord brought him back to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Then Manasseh realized that the Lord is the true God. This is just it's incredible. The story is just so wonderful. He removed the foreign gods and images from the Lord's temple and all the altars he'd built on the hill of the Lord's temple and in Jerusalem. He threw them outside the city. He erected the altar of the Lord and offered on it peace offerings and thank offerings. He told the people of Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. I just think that story is so, it's just so such a moving story. And it's a revelation of what God is like, of his heart. Now, as I said, truth shines brightest in the New Testament. So when we look at the New Testament, we have this explained to us how this is going to happen. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we have the idea there that um, we have to turn from what we're doing and follow Jesus. And we have to repent as that we've just been changed direction and it's very very clear in jesus teachings that if we repent if we turn and follow him there is forgiveness to us and there's very many examples of this kind of forgiveness but it goes on with stories in the new testament as the kingdom grew there was an, an evil man who satan was using to attack uh, Christians and kill God's people. He was the, almost like the personification of evil, almost like a, um, a Manasseh of the New Testament, hunting Christians down to kill them. And one day this wicked man was traveling to kill even more Christians when God struck him down dead. No, he didn't, did he? You know the story. He didn't. He showed him his love and his grace and Paul ended up being one of the greatest apostles in the kingdom of God. This is God. This is God's character, his compassion. And this point, the second point I'm making is that it includes forgiveness for sin, not just pity for those who are suffering. So how should we respond to this? Um, a Christian is someone who receives this compassion 
for God and his grace. And we can receive it so easily. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of, of Jesus this morning, then all you need to do is to come to him humbly and admit you need forgiveness. Admit him you need yourself. Admit to him you need help. And ask for his forgiveness. And trust yourself to his leadership, just like Manasseh did. Give him control of your life. And he will forgive you completely. Just like he did Paul and Manasseh. Uh, so we've looked at his compassion and grace to those in need, to those who, who cry to him for help. Then we've looked at those who actually need forgiveness because they've done wrong. And now I want to look about being a person living in this compassion and grace, living in this. And this is, this is about when we are with, walking with God, we're saved and we will sometimes fall or need forgiveness to maintain this relationship with God. Um, one of the most extraordinary stories of God's forgiveness uh, occurs in the life of David. And this is a, a photograph from Jerusalem, from the city of David. And um, where he lived was probably pretty high up. It's a very, very steep side, it's pretty high up. And it's uh, quite a hilly. And from where he was, he could look down. And one day he saw a woman bathing naked on a roof. And um, his passions got the better of him. He summoned her to come around. And um, very soon a baby was conceived. And he tr he indulged in various pieces of trickery. First of all, he tried to, to, to trick the husband into thinking it was his child. And that didn't work. And so he had the husband killed. So here he's guilty of both uh, adultery and murder. And... Um, He's to start with, he's completely unrepentant, but God in his mercy sends a prophet to him that, that very carefully tells a story that enables David to see what he's done wrong. And then there's a complete turnaround and he comes to God. And we read what he says when he comes to God in Psalm 51. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin against you you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Sprinkle me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Um, hyssop was a plant with, that you could dip into um, something and uh, use it like a paintbrush. And the idea of like being, being cleaned with this, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That was his prayer, and God did. God completely forgave him, restored him, and David, David's life uh, reflected this sense of forgiveness. And the songs that he sung about this walk with God where he just knew God's forgiveness, it wasn't that he was going to you know, going to do it again, it was that he was just reflecting on his forgiveness. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. This is just so wonderful. It's just like a love that wells up in his heart because of this forgiveness. Um, he says, uh, uh, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. 
The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of the grave laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. So how should we respond to this? It is very important that like David, we relate to God as someone who is ready to forgive us. And I want to say that sadly, many Christians live under a God they perceive as being harsh. And often that comes out of our experience of authority in our lives that has not been kind and gentle. And I want to suggest that most of us need a huge change in our view of God. As I talk to Christians, it is so common that we have a view of God that's not the same as we read about in the life of Jesus and in those Old Testament stories. We need to hear the stories, especially we need to read Jesus, and we need to be able to say, this is God. This is a revelation of God. You know the parable of the lost son, where the father sees the son coming towards him that's treated him so badly, and the father rushes out to greet him and kisses him and and has a feast, that the heart of God is so warm and forgiving towards his people. This doesn't mean that God doesn't hate sin. He he can't stand sin. This is why Jesus had to die. But as a father towards us, he's he is full of grace. And I want I would strongly encourage you to work on the image of God you have in your mind, particularly that he is forgiving. And uh, I once more, I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament because I'm really trying to show you that this isn't a New Testament idea. This is it, this goes right the way through. They refused to obey and did not recall your miracles that you'd performed among them. This is talking about the Israelites when they came out of Egypt and they didn't look back at the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. Instead, they rebelled. But you are a God of forgiveness merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and unfailing in your loyal love, chesed. You did not abandon them. Even when they made a cast image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you out from Egypt, or when they committed atrocious blasphemies, due to your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. The pillar of cloud did not stop guiding them in the path by day, nor did the pillar of fire stop illuminating for them by night the path on which they should travel. God's presence was with them, and he understands the fact that we are, in this life, we are going to be imperfect. We're going to fail many times. Um, So, 
I, what I want to say to you is we, we're looking at these descriptions of, of God. Is this how we would be described by other people? If somebody would say, you know, what is, what, what are you like? What, tell me what that person is like. Would you say, oh, that person is just so compassionate. They're so merciful. They're so gentle and kind and tender and forgiving. Is that, would that character, would that be how someone would describe you? Because they should. Because we are to reflect God in this world. We are to be like him. Uh, people should be able to see the character of God by looking at us. So these things that we've been looking about, looking in, in the scriptures, in the Old and New Testament, should be things that we carry in our own characters. You know, there are some people today who preach grace but if you don't, they're so strong on grace, but if you don't preach grace exactly like they do, then, uh, and you, then you'll get attacked and condemned because you don't preach grace, grace quite right. And, um, you know, it's laughable, but sadly it's true. And, um, there are consequences to sin. Of course there are. You know, sometimes we have, like Manasseh had to, you know, suffer the, some really tough things in his life because of his sin. But um, God is ready to hear us any time. Uh, so I want, I want to say one more thing before I close. Um, there's a voice in our head that we all have that criticizes us. So uh, a while ago, um, one day I was setting off to spend a day in Oakville and to work there for a day. And I was supposed to take a bag with me. And um, this is a bag that Anne had carefully packed the night before, and it was there, and I was going to, and it was quite important that I should take it. Um, well, you can probably guess what happened. Uh, I got halfway there and realized I'd forgotten it. Well, actually, I had a phone call from Anne to say, it's still here. You forgot to take it. And the voice in my head was saying, Andrew, you're so dumb. How could you have forgotten it? What an idiot. How could you possibly have forgotten that? And this voice was going on and on. And what's the problem of talking to myself like that? Uh, you know, it's so destructive, but we all do it. We just, we just criticize ourselves like that. Um, what should I have said? What I should have said, um, I, I didn't intend to forget it, but I sh next time I need to make sure if I'm setting off, I need to maybe put post-it notes out or do something just to make sure that doesn't happen again. I didn't intend to, to forget it. It was a silly thing to do, but I'm not going to beat myself up for the rest of the day about this. Um, you know, do you ever do this? I can almost guarantee that you do. If somebody was to put a microphone to your head, they would hear this little voice saying, oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? And what often happens is that this self-talk is um, often taken in to us, sometimes from like authority figures in our lives or a view of what God is like. And uh, I would say that um, this self-talk is out of alignment with what God is saying about us. And this is why we should not do it. Because people who don't receive God's compassion rarely know how to give it to others. Uh, I'm going to suggest to you that the kind of person who has this harsh inner voice will also direct the harsh inner voice to other people who don't measure up, who make mistakes. The same 
thing we measure to ourselves, we measure to other people. And uh, I want to suggest to you that we reduce our effectiveness as Christians who are to reflect God in this world. And I, I, this is my, one of my main takeaways this morning, is to address this inner voice which we confuse with God's voice, which is so harsh and critical. Um, you know, um, uh, uh, often we, we, uh, we, we criticize other people. You know, self-critical people um, criticize other people um, even if they might not say it. I don't know if you criticize other drivers on the road. Um, you know, you're, you may not say it. Maybe you do speak aloud. Well, what a stupid thing. Why didn't you get that light? You know, and this kind of criticism that goes on. Um, uh, my, my granddad, who was a very angry man, he, um, he owned a public, ad- a company that made public address systems. And he had them make for him um, two powerful speakers on the front of his car and a microphone up near the steering wheel. So he could actually um, announce to the entire street what, who was doing what wrong on the, on the road and criticize them. <laughs> it's horrible to think of it, but he did. And he would like publicly in front of everybody to berate other drivers at a high volume so that everybody could hear what would happen. Well, maybe you would like to do that sometime, but that's like a symptom of an inner anger, which also it gets turned on ourselves. So um, I want to suggest to you that you know, if we were to put a microphone inside your mind, maybe it would say the same things. This is so important that we uh, adopt this compassion towards ourselves from God, because otherwise we'll have trouble extending it to other people. So I'd just like to sum things up in my last slide. Be compassionate and grace-filled to others. Stepping out in dependence on God's strength. We need God's strength to do this. We need his life in us to do this. But God desires that we reflect him to others. And then my other concluding point is enjoy God's gentleness and kindness to you, especially in the way you talked to yourself. And I, my, my, my takeaway for you this week is to catch yourself when you're doing this and replace that voice with the voice of God, who is so tender and compassionate and is, is never turns away anybody who comes humbly to him. And I want you to replace this harsh inner voice with the voice of God, and that will enable you then to speak that voice out to others. I just, I just so love this message. I need this message as much as you do. I have struggles with this inner voice as much as you, you do, I'm sure. And, um, and I, when I read these stories of God, his, his compassion, his, his forgiveness. It so gives me hope because I know I need it. 
and just just particularly one with Manasseh. That's just so amazing. And with David as well. That's so amazing. And to hear the, the words that Jesus spoke and the way he called people to him and he never turned anyone away. And um, to me, this is this is the heart of Christianity, and I just love it, and I want us all to enjoy it. So my last point, enjoy this, because God wants us to enjoy him for who he is. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this wonderful character that you have, that you are a God of compassion to your core, a God of kindness, a God of forgiveness, a God of grace. May we be like you, God. May we reflect you in our inner thoughts and our outer behavior in this coming week and the months to come. In Jesus' name, amen.